0: We're listening to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network brought to you by Interstate Batteries.
1: Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States or
0: go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
1: All right, y'all, here's the deal. Go Wild has partnered with us here at Southern Ground Hunting to make life a whole lot easier for you guys. So I get a lot of questions um, on social media, uh, on YouTube, and things like that about the gear that I use. We are extremely excited to announce that we're going to be working with Go Wild to make it easy for you to see a complete list of the gear that we use here at Southern Ground hunting so all you have to do is you have to go download go wild it's a free social media app um, and it's a community for hunters where i have put together a list of all of the gear that i use all you have to do is look up parker mcdonald once you create your account go wild is also just a fun place to hang out and chat with other hunters other outdoorsmen you can find tips and you can actually buy all of this gear through go wild and actually you can get a 10 percent discount if you use the code all lowercase all one word southern ground when you purchase there at go wild so join me hundreds of thousands of other hunters on go wild the download link is in the show notes and you can find it there again that's all lowercase all one word southern ground and that will save you 10 percent off of your gear purchases on the go wild hunting app The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.com. A-I, and you can use the code Southern Ground. That's all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. If you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters by saddle hunters and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Southern Hunting. Or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. And now, let's get to the show. Alright everybody, on the line today we have got a very special guest. Um, somebody who was uh, incredibly inspiring to me and to a lot of people who, um, started hunting podcasts, I, uh, I call, I call him the, the godfather of podcasting, of (laughs) hunting podcasting. So, uh, we've got Mr. Mark Kenyon on the line with us today. Mark, how's it going up there in, uh, in Michigan?
0: It's great. It's going well. It's pretty cool today, which I'm loving. I'm, I'm feeling like fall might finally be around the corner. So, uh, that's that's a great feeling, and I appreciate you having me on the show.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We're excited to have you on. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, uh, before I hit record, we were talking about, uh, you know, th- the fact that the Southern is literally in the name of the podcast, of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, and you're a guy who's from, like, one of the m- most northern parts of the United States. Um, and so we were talking about how we were going to relate that back to um guys listening to this from the south and uh and i think that's going to be a fun uh a fun little journey that we get to go on today of trying to figure out ways to make it relate back to southern guys and so i think it's going to be fun um but you mentioned it being cooler over there so i just got back from a three-day trip to north dakota to prep uh some some spots and we're going to talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about that like early season hunting today is going to be pretty much the topic that we talked through but i could not believe like how cool it was it was like 50 degrees when we woke up in the morning and like no humidity it's insane like is that how it is there in michigan too or is it a little warmer there
0: so it's a little warmer than probably was in north dakota and definitely more humid uh we've got we've got the humidity here so it's okay, though. Like, I mean, I know it certainly could be worse, but I, I get to spend a lot of time out west and I get really jaded because when I'm out there, you wake up in the morning and it's 40 and dry and wonderful. And then as soon as I get, you know, driving back, as soon as I get into maybe eastern Nebraska and you start seeing cornfields again, then you just feel like all of a sudden you're entering this like soup of humidity <laughs> and that, that stays with me all the way home. And so, as you know, I mean, you learn to deal with it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You pretty much, you pretty much prepare every morning. When you live down here in the South, you pretty much prepare if you're going to go outside. You're going to sweat, like, and it may not yeah. be sweat; it's just humidity forming on you. And it's like, you just... it's just, it's nasty. I don't blame Dan Johnson for uh, getting out of the South as soon as he possibly could uh, and moving <laughs> back up north. But it's, uh, it's, it's cool, you know. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Like there's, you've heard the phrase Southern hospitality, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I go, anytime I've been to the Midwest, I went to Nebraska for uh turkey season. I went and killed a Merriam's in in Nebraska. And that was my first like real like Midwestern trip. And then going to North Dakota this past week, the people there are so stinking nice, man. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the phrase Southern hospitality came from because these people are like salt of the earth people over there and uh, yeah i
0: feel like the midwest has got we've got a nice a nice uh a nice version of southern hospitality i think that's translated to a lot of the rural midwest yeah it's a good good vibe
1: I, i love it man i i'm i will definitely plan some type of midwestern hunt uh whether it be deer turkeys maybe both every year just because it's so cool man it's so cool to get over there and uh Kind of experience something new, and that's another thing that we were talking about is how different just the terrain is. I don't want to get into that too much right now. Um, first, I would love you to like just uh, explain Wired to Hunt. Tell us anybody who doesn't know who Mark Kenyon is. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this whole um, podcasting scene, and everything like that.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll give you the the really short rapid version of it and then you can you can let me know if you want to dive into anything further but I don't I don't want to bore people either. Uh so yeah, I started wired to hunt back in 2008 as a way to kind of scratch my itch of of wanting to be outside hunting and doing those things while I was stuck doing an internship in the big city uh one summer in between years of college. And so I started that. I've been a Outdoorsman, hunting, fishing, doing all that kind of stuff my entire life, basically since I was probably two or three. So that's been my passion. Um, but like I said, started Wired Hunt as a website. Then a year later, I graduated. I'm a full-time job. And again, I'm in the big city doing this business stuff. Realize that's not for me, um, and decide you know what I'm gonna take that little website I started last year and build it into something that you know can can be more than just a little hobby, but something I could do and spend the rest of my life on. So over the next four years built wired hunt into a deer hunting website, podcast, YouTube, all that kind of stuff focused on, you know, trying to help people become better white tailed deer hunters. Uh, that's what I was passionate and excited about. And I wanted to share that with other people and, uh, was able to do that. And, you know, for years and years now, gosh, it's 2021. So it was a long time ago. Uh, have been growing wired to hunt and finding new ways to, to share my experiences and, and lessons learned. And uh, a few years ago, three, four years ago, merged wired to hunt with meat eater. Um, so now I'm a part of that network of brands still focusing on the same things though, but have been able to, you know, grow what we've done and now, you know, working on video and TV projects and, and different things like that. So wired to hunt can be found just about anywhere. Now we've got the podcast still uh, video series on youtube uh hosted a show called back 40 over the last couple of years where we kind of dove into the world of land management and hunting um and that's that's kind of what i do i also write about conservation and public lands wrote a book about that and i'd say that kind of sums me up pretty well
1: yeah and uh man i can remember back man i'm trying to think what year it actually would have been it would have been When did you say you actually started Wired to Hunt? What year?
0: So I started it in the summer of 2008.
1: Okay, summer 2008. It would have been 2000 and maybe 14, something like that. Were you doing the podcast already in 14? Okay. Yep. So I think it would have been 2014. And uh, I had just, I mean, podcasts have been around for a long time. I was living in Atlanta at the time. And really just kind of like, I think I'd, pretty much just gotten my first truck that I could actually listen to stuff on my phone um, yeah. in the truck and so I was like man this is a whole new world I can actually like find things to listen to. I don't have to listen to CDs now I can listen yeah. to stuff that's on my phone I got the yep. internet at the palm, in the palm of my hand and it was amazing. Uh, in 2014 I was a little behind the curve on that but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, I was driving down the road one day driving actually to my uh, hunting club that I was on out there. I was like, I wonder if anybody makes hunting podcasts. Like, I wonder if that's a thing. And so I just looked it up, hunting podcasts, and there's Wired to Hunt shows up. And so I start listening to that. And then uh, after, through listening to Wired to Hunt, I learned that this guy named Dan Johnson has a podcast called Nine Finger Chronicles. And so I look up that one and I start listening to Nine Finger Chronicles. <laughs> and at the time, there wasn't just a ton of hunting podcasts, but there was a few. Um, I also listened to the Turkey Hunter podcast. Uh, Mm -hmm. soon after that. And so I just started, I mean, that was, I think my story is probably similar to a lot of people who listen to hunting podcasts. They just put in a random search, Oh, what's this podcasting thing? Let's find out about it. And they find wired to hunt, you know, right there. And so it's been really cool, uh, to be like, just kind of go along with you on that, uh, on that journey that you, you know, started wired to hunt from, it's got humble beginnings, And then it's just kind of grown into this powerhouse for Whitetail content. And uh, I know I really appreciate it. And, I mean, really, if you want to, like, dive really deep into it, the reason I have a podcast could be considered a part of Wired Hunt's influence um, in in Dan's platform with Sportsman's Nation. And then starting this, you know, Southern Ground as a Southern podcast through Sportsman's Nation. It's just all kind of a, a cool connection there. And, and so I appreciate what you do. I appreciate everything that you've done for the for the hunting community and uh yeah, man, I'm I'm excited Thank to you. uh to start this conversation and uh talk about early season deer hunting tactics, your plans. Um, you know, I'm I'm selfishly uh going to try to pick your brain because I have like I said, I I'm not like a I'm not a Midwestern hunter. And so I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not used to some of this stuff. So tell us a little bit about what your plans are at the beginning of the season, I guess, starting around late August and September.
0: Yeah. Well, my first hunt this year is going to be a public land hunt out in Idaho. Um, I think the season opens August 30th, I think it is. So yeah, I mean, super early bucks will probably, at least some of the bucks will still be in velvet. Um, I'll be hunting, you know, out, out in these Western states, most often the whitetail ground is river bottom stuff. So you've got a big river that's running through, you know, either some states is big plains, some places it's hills and places it's mountains. Um, so I'll be hunting uh, a river bottom that runs through a mountain valley. And it's, you know, the nice thing about these types of whitetail hunts is that a lot of the whitetail activities is confined to a relatively narrow corridor of lush green cover that they want that's alongside these rivers. Um, and they, they bed in that thick cover along the rivers and they feed their way out and eventually head to some kind of ag field on the outside of those. Um, and so you're hunting, you know, a early season bed to feed pattern, which, um, you know, not that it's easy, but it is rel- relatively simple as far as the basic kind of process that's happening there. And it's a lot of fun. So I really love these early season hunts when deer are fresh off the summer, they're on these bed to feed patterns. Um, I love places where you can really observe. I, I, just the most fun thing for me is like observing deer from afar, trying to figure out what they're doing and why, and then kind of swooping in to, uh to kind of, make a targeted plan to get in on them um i just really geek out about that there's nothing it's hard sitting up in an observation tree stand or sitting up on a hill or on a bluff or something with a spotting scope and binos and like glassing an area and just starting to see those first couple deer moving out and then another one and then another one and you see that first buck and i just love that I, I think i just love watching critters so much that that appeals to me and then being able to make a game plan based off of those um that's my absolute favorite way to hunt early season deer and it might be my favorite part of any kind of deer hunting I was just talking to my buddy this weekend we were driving to Iowa scouting up there for another hunt and uh, we were sitting and saying if you had to pick one whitetail hunt like one kind of whitetail hunt for the rest of your life what would it be and I was torn between like a Iowa kind of like middle of the rut kind of deal like that like one of those kinds of states with rut, or an early season whitetail hunt in an open kind of space, like the plains or the west, or you know where you can just see bed to feed movement and then strike. I mean that is just yeah. fun. So that's that's what I've got planned for the first week of September, and uh and really excited about it.
1: It's cool, man. I I've, I'm right there with you. So in the for guys in the South that are listening to this, which is probably the majority of people listening to this right now, it's uh it we've got so the Tennessee the state of Tennessee does a three-day velvet hunt um, mm-hmm. every year they've been doing it. I think this is going to be the third or fourth year that they've done it. And so other than that, though, there's not a lot of real opportunity to do a, an early season, you know, velvet deer type hunt. And um, even Tennessee is very limited on the the public land that you can actually hunt during that, that three-day hunt. And so Um, most guys here, myself included, if you want to do something like that, you've got to go either to one of these States, you know, Midwestern States, or you can bump up to Kentucky. And I've done that hunt every year for the past crap, man, four years. I think, um, this is actually going to be my first year of not doing the opener in Kentucky, in in quite a, quite a long time. And so, uh, but the thing about it is like, it's not, it, it is fun. Like it's, it's fun to go sit and, like, when you're used to hunting, like, trying to find funnels and, and transition lines and thickets, it's fun to just go and sit on a bean field and just not have to overthink things, you know, <laughs> and just, yeah. like, see deer. You just see a lot of deer. Yeah. Um, it, but it's so different. But the, I think the thing that makes it even more different and uh, about, I guess, Kentucky versus somewhere like Idaho or North Dakota or one of those states that opens early in the Midwest, West or Midwest, is the weather like the kentucky hunt it's 95 100 degrees humid ticks everywhere poison ivy on every tree it's not enjoyable so while the deer (laughs) while the deer i think i've heard you talk about type two fun before uh i've talked about type two fun and kentucky early season is just it's just type two fun man it's like you you leave the you when you leave your hunt and you're done like, man, I want to go back. I wish I could just go back and sit one more time, you know. Um, but when you're in the moment, it's just awful. It's there's not a lot of things that are more difficult than early season Kentucky. I've uh, heard that from a lot of people. <laughs> it's it's miserable. There's a I have a picture on uh, I think it's on Instagram. I know I have it on my phone, but it was two years ago in uh, in Kentucky doing the September hunt, and I had ticks every inch of my body um the oh. like it was just awful i had poison ivy everywhere i had poison ivy on my face um and i killed i i, I was done oh. i was just like i was finished and this little buck came out and it was just not his day you know it was like he he decided <laughs> yeah. to come out on the wrong day because i had let a bunch of deer like him and and even a little bigger than him walk through the trip and I was, you know, I was there to kill a, a good buck and he walked out and I was like, "You know what? Yeah. I'm freaking done. <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> I got to force myself to be finished and so I shot him and the picture of me standing over or sitting over this deer like my face is just swollen, like my cheeks are uh, huge. I got yeah. red rashes all over me. My eyes uh. are the next morning my eyes were pretty much swollen shut. Um so it's it's cool. Like you see a lot of deer and being able to catch them in that bed to feed pattern is a lot of fun, but everything else about that, that hunt is pretty miserable. So going to Midwest or I, like Idaho just sounds, I know it's got its own challenges and things. I'm sure Idaho has got challenges with terrain and things like that, but man, being able to go out and have like nice fall weather and catch these yeah. deer in, in, you know, big deer. And I, I I agree with you, man. I think, a lot of times your best opportunity at a big mature deer is right there on that early season. I would almost choose that over a rut hunt sometimes as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get a better time of year as far as these deer being on patterns relatively uninfluenced by people. Uh-huh. Um you've got a few days there where they're still operating like it's the the days of summer and living is good. Yeah. And they're relatively carefree um and in bachelor groups
1: you can find them in bachelor groups still which is great so a lot of times you have do i want to shoot that one do i want to shoot that one you know you're you're having a lot of opportunity all at once which is pretty
0: cool it's super fun i mean i've been able to do it in oh montana idaho north dakota um nebraska early season i don't know if i've done nebraska early season but a few of those western-ish states and it's it's right up there at the very top of my list. And like you said, there are challenges, um, but certainly not as bad as Kentucky. You've, 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 uh, you've ruined me for the Kentucky early season hunt. <laughs> I've, I've thought about that one, but now, nope. If there's, uh, and then my buddy Andy has told me the same thing, too many ticks, too much poison ivy, too hot. So,
1: well, if you're Andy May though, you can, you can just go out in two days and shoot one and be done. So you're good. <laughs>
0: The the problem is that none of us are Andy May
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wish we could all be Andy May But there's only room for one Andy May Yeah, Um, that's the truth So you had a little bit of success a couple years back I guess it was, uh, was it Montana? um, Yeah, I killed some
0: bucks on Montana
1: You killed a pretty good early season deer Mm -hmm. Um, And and I want to say that may have been the one You had it, you filmed everything uh, And it took you a little while to find the deer is that right? Was that mm, Montana? Yeah.
0: That was one of those, yep.
1: So so you've had a little bit, bit of success in one of these early season states. Are you using a lot of the same tactics and strategy? I guess, uh, obviously, it's a simple thing. It's a bed-to-feed thing. But when you compare Montana to Idaho, are you using a lot of the same ideas? Is it is the terrain the same? You know, Are the deer kind of doing the same thing?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's variations on the same theme. Um, you know, I've hunted three different places in Montana, two different places in North Dakota, uh, two different places in Idaho, shot a few bucks in Montana, passed on a lot of nice deer in North Dakota and Idaho, um, trying to get something probably too nice. So it's it's the same basic idea that just has to be adapted to the specifics. So the, the same basic idea is if you can see areas, if you can get a place where you can get eyes on things, that's the very first thing I'm doing. So I'm hopefully gonna get there before the opening day season and glass from some kind of observation area and watch. Um, And then definitely doing that in the mornings as well, at least to start before I start diving in and hunting. And so I just wanna get an idea of what's happening because in a perfect world, I would rather do my scouting that way than have to push in on foot. so the best case scenario is do your scouting with your eyes. If, if you have the kind of place that allows that, which a lot of these states that have early seasons do um, other than Kentucky, where it's obviously pretty thick, but if you can get out to one of these states like Nebraska or South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Eastern Colorado, Idaho, um, all those early season opening states usually have got places where you can get eyes on things from afar. So best case scenario is that watch from afar get up on a bluff or climb up in a tree that's far away from the heart of everything and watch like like a morning and an evening or even a day or two of watching that way uh is so valuable it's more valuable than pushing in hunting blindly even more valuable than walking around and trying to be- guess based on sign what's happening um because those early season hunts you're not you don't have a you've got different kinds of sign. you got basically mm. tracks yeah you're not really looking for any kind of sign like rubs or scrapes so you're you're really operating off of what you can see and then tracks and trails is your big thing there might be some you know early season rubs as bucks are scraping off their velvet um but that's very hit or miss so it begins with trying to figure out like how are they coming out like what are they feeding on you got to know where are they bedding where are they feeding and watching from afar if you have that opportunity is is a very simple way to do that. um so that's that's in every one of these states of hunting I've done that some way, some places that means sitting up on top of a bluff, some places that means driving back roads, the last hour of daylight and glassing from the truck. Um, but I've also found like sometimes searching out a setting that works that way is, is worth it. So for example, there's a place I was hunting some public land and I thought I could do that. And we had a plan to do that and we got there and it just wasn't working out weren't seeing deer moving the way we thought we were going to. And so we had an option. I said, okay, we could stay here. And this whole observe and then attack thing isn't working. So if we want to make this work, we're going to push in blind and try to figure something out in the ground and, and see if we can totally revamp the strategy here. Or I looked on the maps and I looked all around and I looked in like a several hour radius from where we were. And I found another area of public land that was certainly around my ag fields and I found the river bottom stuff that I know holds deer in these settings and it had a bunch of irrigated agriculture around it and I said I bet if we were to go here I bet you that program would work and in this situation you know what let's just do a hard pivot let's rip the band-aid off and go see if we can find somewhere where this program will work and we drove two hours to a different part of the state got there in time for an evening of driving and glassing and it was Spot on. We got there. We drove all around, found one of these isolated little alfalfa fields adjacent to some public land with a bunch of cover on it, and drove and drove until we found them that one piece. And there they are. Like here's here's a bachelor group of four nice bucks out in that field feeding half hour before dark, bingo. And the next day we were able to put together a game plan. Me and a buddy slipped in there, set up on two different spots. But then what we saw and what the wind was doing. And we both, neither one of us killed, but we both came as close as you can get to killing a deer without. And that was, you know, the last day of the hunt and we almost pulled it off with this big move to something different because we we knew a situation, program that works. We just need to find the right place to implement. So sometimes in this kind of situation, that's kind of a a crazy thing worth doing. And it it was very, very close to working out. It was fun. I mean, it made for a really, really fun last second hunt like that. Um, so, so yeah, you're, you're observing. And then once you see something worth moving on, you see either a bunch of deer moving and you say, well, I'm going to hunt those deer. Or if you're targeted, or if you're trying to target a certain kind of deer, like a mature buck or whatever, once you see one of those deer, you watch what they do. How are they moving between that feeding area and that bedding area? Uh, or are they using the wind? You get a couple of those basic elements in place and then, you know, move in midday the next day or the next morning, slip in there with a mobile setup. And then from there it's observe and adjust. So I'd slip in there, hang a tree stand along where I think they're crossing through. Hopefully I picked up and Mark, I know the right spot. And as you get in there on foot, you're then trying to pick the spot within the spot. Right. So yeah. I observed from afar. I saw they're coming through this general area, but now it's making sure like, am I within shooting range, bow range of that specific crossing? Or is there a creek crossing that's going to funnel things down? Or is there a down fence that's going to funnel more of the movement through there? Uh, set up, and then you hunt that night, and then you make an adjustment the next day based on what you saw. Maybe you got to tweak 20 yards. Maybe you move 100 yards because actually, little did you know, but there's several other better deer moving down the way. Or that night, they all came up the opposite side of the field, and then you're trying to figure out, well, why did they do that? Um, but it's very much... You know, in certain areas and certain types of hunts, you're having to make decisions based on a lot of guesswork. Yeah. You know, you're you're making an assumption that okay, since I didn't see anything here in this little like 40 yard area I can see in the middle of the thicket, um, I'm gonna walk around till I find some rubs, and I'm gonna assume that means there's some bucks in here. I'm gonna sit, and sometimes that works out. Uh, but if you can be in a place where your eyes can actually tell you like, oh, they were there. Um move yeah, there and exactly. oh they did this. Um it it's it's a it's a very effective and a really fun way to hunt. I mean I it's I said it's it's just dynamite. So from there it's it's just keeping on making your moves. You adjust to what you see and tweak and and, and hope for the best. You know? It's hope for the best.
1: You you talk something stuck out to me that you were talking about uh, a specific trip the where you you guys both came close to killing a deer. You didn't kill one, but you were both really close. And it's that you made a big move like that, and still made time for observation, still made time for glassing. A lot of guys are gonna get when you start running out of time. What it, what it sounded like is you had one day left basically. Um, you made it, but you decided instead of just going in and hunting, and maybe maybe upping your odds, putting yourself in a position where you could kill a deer, it was more valuable in that situation to observe observe, and then go in. I mean, you you use your time in a way that not a lot of people would do. And I think for guys down here, that's kind of a little bit of a foreign concept um, because we don't really get the opportunity to observe like that. Like you could sit uh, on a clear cut, you know, you got a big, giant cut over, And you could get way high up in a tree and observe and kind of do the same thing, Um, but it's not going to be—it's not like a field. You're going to miss a lot of movement in those clear cuts because they're grown up. Any any type of clear cut that's worth hunting is going to be pretty thick, so you're going to you're going to miss a lot. So we don't really get to observe a lot from a distance like that, uh, like a lot of guys can with with ag or uh, even like cattail marshes or something like that where you can just park your truck somewhere far away and watch. We don't get to do that. And so I think it's really cool and and it's neat to see how it worked for you guys in that situation even though you didn't kill a deer. You came really close. You put yourself in the right position and had you not made that observation sit uh, a priority, then I mean, y'all would have there, there's no you you may have been in the game that second day, that last day, but you might not have. You might not have even been yeah. close, you know. Oh yeah.
0: It's, it's, I've just been reminded so many times. I've had so many years where this ends up proving true that quality is always better than quantity. I'd always rather have a couple really quality, like very well informed sits. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather have that than a whole bunch of just flying by the seat or willy nilly sits. So yeah. yeah, if I need to sacrifice a day or an evening or something so I can get the information I need to make the right move, I will always, always, always do that. And so, like you said, in this case, you know, we sacrificed an entire day of hunting so that we could get to this new place, spend an evening to watch, and get the info we needed. And then we had that night to try to, you know, kill. And it was absolutely worth it. Even though we didn't pull the trigger. I mean, it was awesome. It was really fun. It was great to see the plan basically work out and, you know, just barely out of range. Um, I mean, that was... It, it was great. It was about as good of an outcome as you could ask for and, and made what had been like a very frustrating trip up to that point. Um, gave us a really nice high note to go out on and um, you know learn something too.
1: Yeah. Is there anybody that you're like that you use um, to help you with these type of trips as far as like some type of uh, maybe a, maybe it's a podcast or some type of content creator who this is like their bread and butter, um, early season Western or midwestern trips. Is there anybody like that that you're really uh, using to up your odds of success in those type of scenarios?
0: Hmm, it's a good question. Um...
1: I mean, if not, that's that's great. That means it's all Mark Kenyon, and that's and we got you right here. So. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: definitely not, this isn't like an original idea. This is certainly not like I came up with this idea. There's a lot of people do it. I mean, I think I probably picked up a lot from my buddy, Tony Peterson. He was doing a lot of this before I was doing. So I think some of his ideas that I was gleaning from him helped. Um, you know, these days the hunting public do a lot of this kind of stuff on their early season hunts. Um, we've hunted some of the same places in similar ways. Um, so and it, you know, it's very much like a Western big game hunter style too, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you're looking some of the things that guys are doing on mule deer hunts and applying it to a slightly different setting. Um, and of course, we're setting up an ambush versus sneaking in spot and stalk and shooting them on the ground maybe sometimes. But, you know, it's it's a similar thing that that you see across a lot of ways. Get eyes on something, observe, and then make a move.
1: Is there anything as far as, uh, this is this is uh, a little bit of a early season hunting, especially when you have a lot of ag. It seems like there's a lot of um, hurry up and wait type scenarios. Um, it's very it's a it's a patience thing. We've talked we've covered that. You know, a lot of it is is observing and doing that kind of stuff. Are there any situations where you actually get on the ground aggressive, like um like going in and trying to get up? close to that bedding area um, or even sneak up on a deer, stalk up on a deer in their bed? Or do you find it more beneficial to just wait until they get into that, that, uh, you know, to where they're on their feet, basically?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that comes down to personal style and what you're comfortable with for a long time i was only ever in ambush style like i was only ever going to get up in a tree and sit and wait and that's what i had known growing up and that's what i felt comfortable with but in recent years i've definitely gotten more willing to try new things and i think a lot of that comes down to the fact that we're seeing people have success with all these different ideas so yeah. it just makes it yeah. you know seems like it's possible so yeah i found myself in situations where you know, if I see a deer and he's not coming my way and he's the one I want, and I think there's a way to make a play on him, absolutely, I'll, I'll hop out now and make a move. Or sometimes, like, I had, to, I had a situation last year on a hunt of mine where I was set up in a place where I'd, I'd come in, I'd, I'd made a move based on some feeding activity I'd seen in an alfalfa field. I slipped into the cover on the backside of the public land, set up there, uh, saw two Awesome shooter bucks, but they're just out of range. They're like 55 yards or so. So the next day, I moved the stand about 30, 20, 30 yards over, got up in there, thought I was in the kill spot. And then a bunch of people came through, other guys mucked it all up like crazy. And, and they had been making a ton of noise and knocking down tree stands or something off to one side of me. So I thought to myself, okay, this spot I'm in, I thought this is going to be the kill spot, but now there's all this activity. This is a disaster. My night's ruined um in a previous life i might have said uh i'm just gonna sit it out here and wait till dark and walk out and just you know be bummed or maybe i would have said i'm just gonna pull the plug and just leave but what i decided was okay you know what fine there's this activity that's over this way and i know that deer are gonna hear and they're gonna avoid that but there will still be you know there's still gonna be deer moving around they're gonna be doing their thing they're just gonna adjust their behavior so i hopped out of the tree I knew it was too late in the evening to pull down my set and try to set up something new. So I said, okay, I think I know where these deer are bedded. I'm going to try to sneak in closer on the ground and see if I can move up in there and intercept. Like they're going to start moving this way or something. They're going to move towards the food in general. Um, And either they're going to held up because they hear the noise and they're just going to stage farther back or they're going to pivot and move off the other, you know, access to the West versus the East. So I decided I was going to slip in there and and that's what I did. I slipped in as close as I could get, got right in the edge of this bedding, settled down, down trees and didn't work out. And it seemed some deer, but then the same people ended up going through there and blowing up that area too. So it didn't pan out, but then I pivoted again. There was still like 20 minutes left of daylight and I was like, okay, I could give up. Oh shit, why not try something else? So then I actually got up out of there because it crashed through there. These people did. And I made another hard move again, just trying to make the most of my time, made another move to the other side, slipping through there and doing like, okay, except like the sunk costs. Like I know that this section here has been blown out. It's been messed up. There's a lot of human activity that screwed things up. At the same time, it gives you a little window at now deer know there's something happening. I can maybe blend my activity into that. And when they leave, they'll think that danger left, but actually I use their cover noise to make a move into this other zone. So I would literally sprinted while these guys were making all this noise over here on the other side, sprinted to another area where I thought I might be able to cut off how these deer might react and move out of there. And it ended up being the case that some deer did do. I had a couple of little bucks and some does come that way that I probably could have got a shot at if I wanted to um, just not the deer I was after. So you definitely have learned that sometimes you have to pivot. Sometimes you need to make quick adjustments and, doing that on the ground is, is oftentimes the fastest way to do it. And certainly can lead to success. I, another time on a hunt in uh, Nebraska, I had a similar situation where I was slipping in. I was going to hang a saddle set and hunt from a tree, but I spotted a buck already on the ground as I was slipping in. And I realized, you know what, the only way to kill that deer is to stalk in on him and try to get a shot at him as he slips through this river bottom. So I made a move on him, snuck in was crawling some cedar trees and he actually came by me too soon like i couldn't get past the last branch to get out there and get a shot of him as he like jogged past me but i saw what he was doing and realized oh wow this buck is cruising through here right now and if he's doing that i bet you other bucks would be doing that it was late october mm-hmm. and i saw the way that the terrain was pinching down to this river that there was a really nice pinch point where a ridge dropped down tight to a river and just left like a 40 yard wide gap that they could get through. Uh, so I said, all right, forget the tree stand forget the saddle. I don't need to do that. I'm going to take what I've seen, make an adjustment and I slipped in and then got myself set up on the ground there and, and ended up having another buck come through that I did shoot. Um, so that ground game early season, mid season, it's, it's definitely something to have, in your toolbox. I want to have a lot of different tools. I don't want to be dependent on any one way, mm-hmm. way that always has to work. Uh, I think being versatile is is really important.
1: There's a lot to be said for uh, those type of aggressive hunts that you're talking about, you know, going from not even being in the game and maybe in a lot of cases, not knowing that you weren't in the game to just putting yourself there you know putting yourself in that situation and not settling i had a guy on a podcast uh last year that said uh, he always likes to try to imagine that there's a man in a mask chasing him he's going to kill him and his entire family if he doesn't see (laughs) at least see a deer on that hunt and so (laughs) if things are slow man he's like you know everybody's always heard just sit a little bit longer well sometimes it may be better to not sit a little bit longer and stay hunting like stay there like stay in the area break apart the area get on the ground try to put yourself in the in the game and what you'll find is a lot of those situations like what you're talking about where maybe you didn't make it happen but at least you got a story to tell you know i mean at least you have otherwise if you had not done that like the with the people running around all over the place and making racket you may not have even known that what was going on in the whole area around you like you just would have sat there and not seen anything and it would have been a bust and you'd have forgot about that hunt two days later. But now you have a story to tell, you know, you, you you have something in your mind. You have a scenario where you can go back and look and say, well, you know what? That worked that time. I didn't kill anything, but you know, it, it just puts you in the game so much more speaking towards those people messing with you and, uh, and doing all that stuff. Uh, I believe I heard a podcast uh, where you were talking about it It is like a venting podcast, uh were you talking about that whole situation (laughs) um yeah but the in the those midwestern and, and western states i'm interested to know a little bit about pressure in the early season uh hunting pressure and i know in in kentucky where i've spent the majority of my early season uh hunts at it's it's pretty bad like there's tons of people there's people everywhere every corner if you don't get to your spot at Uh, you know 12 o'clock in the afternoon and sit there in your truck then if you get there at the right time it's just going to be full of people so you got to get there be quick because there's lots of people but the other thing that I've noticed is a lot of times the deer don't care nearly as much they haven't adjusted to the pressure that quickly like they would you know in October and November when you go out west or in these midwestern states that are a little less populated in, in a lot of ways, just as far as people who live there, do you experience a lot of issues with pressure? And if you do, I'd be interested to know what the deer, uh, activity and what the deer's response to that pressure.
0: Yeah. So I would say that on average, the pressure is less mostly because there's just not as much local pressure. Um, cause like you mentioned, all these States are just lower populations of people than back home or back you know, in the Southeast, probably most areas, same deal. So inherently you're going to have less local pressure. So oftentimes it's going to be traveling people. And so there's a few places I've hunted that have gotten more pressured as they've kind of become a little bit more known by traveling hunters. And so you'll have that, but I do think that you've got two things going for you. Number one, have just a lower local population base. And then number two, a lot of these states have a lot more space. There's just a lot larger stretches of public land, larger stretches of ground that's not built up. And so you've got more work. So, yeah, if you get to an area and there's some people there, it's not hard to pull up stakes and move a mile down the road or a quarter mile down the road and have other spots that are left to you. Um, the nice thing about further west you get, it's better in a lot of ways because there's just more stuff, more critters for people to chase. So you've got people that are interested in hunting antelope or people that are hunting elk or mule deer. And so the hunting pressure isn't all focused just on whitetail. So that, again, leads to less pressure. Even the trailing hunters out there are more interested in these other animals. And so if you're a whitetail hunter, you know, west of Nebraska, west of middle of Nebraska, you know, you're more and more of a rarity, which means less and less pressure on those whitetails. Not that you don't find places that they are chased. Um, Like the place I hunted in Idaho had way more people to expect. Um, And so in those cases, what I found was they still deer and they do react to pressure. But, you know, just like you said, you get this early season kind of, I don't know, grace period or something where they're just a little slow to adapt. Even like deer that are getting pressured out in these states, it's almost always less than what I experienced back east. I've, I've never went anywhere where deer were smarter, harder to hunt than like my home state. And so I've always felt like you can always get away more with some of the, the farther west you go, the more you can get away with almost as a rule. There's just even on the like bad, it's still gonna be better than like the good days back home. Um, so I, I remind myself, I have to remind myself of that because it's very easy that, like, oh, no, there's all these people, it's going to be screwed. And then you go out there and you still see deer, or you can still make a move. You can still adjust. Um, you know, the same basic rules apply everywhere and that like usually most people are going to take the easier option. So if you're willing to take the harder option, you're usually going to be able to get in a cement deer will usually react to humans in the same way. They're going to move a little bit later or stay in the cover a little bit more, push back and adding a little more. And so if you just account for that, um, you know, you, you can make it happen. So generally less hunting pressure, generally slow, more forgiving deer, Um, depending on where you go. Also, you know, deer numbers can help out too. If you find areas with a higher deer density, you just have more opportunities to find new deer. Um, So that's a nice thing. I found a lot of these out there in North Dakota. I mean, Got pretty darn good densities. And again, they're usually in smaller space, it's not like a swamp down in Alabama where there's 100,000 acres of the same kind of thick cover and deer could be anywhere in there. You go to North Dakota and even in like and there's a lot of open crop fields and then there's a few cattail sloughs and there's a few fence rows, a little pocket of like an acre of timber. These deer are going to be bedding that kind of. Um, and it's relatively easy to say, well, they're certainly not out in this wide open bean field. So where could they be? Well, they're in that, they're in that cattail slough. Yeah. And so, you know, that helps. And if cattail slough gets bumped because there's four other guys that are hunting all around it, well, then you're going to move around until you find the next like that. Um, and once you steer, re- relate to something like that, you can bet that they're probably relating to something similar in another spot. So go find the next area with a bunch of potholes that nobody's around and there's probably gonna be a buck in there too. Um, So that's something that i found, you know, pretty uh, much as a general rule across those, those different early season States I've hit is that you can find that terrain and how they're doing it. And it's going to be somewhat slower elsewhere.
1: Yeah. So I, I just got back two days ago from North Dakota. And the thing that I noticed out there is kind of what you're saying. Like there's, there's, it may not be like gigantic chunks of public land, but there are there is public land spread all throughout the area, and so we're not we're hunting on a private piece when I go. But there's public all around it, um, and if you have OnX and you don't have like your walk in areas or your possible access areas turned on, then you're going to miss it. Uh, actually, in in uh, Nebraska, when I hunted turkeys in Nebraska, the, the bird that I ended up killing was on one of those walk in areas that had almost zero pressure we we pretty much had the whole place to ourselves Uh, there was a couple of people who had figured it out but um, compared to the national forest there was significantly less pressure on this walk-in area and a lot of times those are like you said you have to work a little bit harder to get to them it has one parking area and the rest of it is foot access only and so if you're willing to do that then you can a lot of times find the wildlife, whatever you're whatever you're in search of, um, and North Dakota is the exact same way. If you have that, that's a different layer on on X Maps to mm-hmm. to be able to see those walk in areas. And when you turn that on in North Dakota, you're like, holy cow, there's public land everywhere. If you don't have it on, yeah. it looks like there's one little section of WMAs in the whole state, you know. Yeah. And but if you have it on, you can you pretty much have the whole state to cover. And, uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. And, and the cool thing too, uh, or different thing, I wouldn't say it's cool. I could see it making life a little bit difficult, um, if you're trying to hunt them, but everything is, it's flat, it's open. There's not a lot of anything other than crops and like, uh, shelter belts, I think is what they're called. Those long strips of woods and then cattails. So like, from what I understand, if you're up in a tree in the evening, all of a sudden, you'll be, if you're next to a cattail marsh, all of a sudden, these deer will just start standing up out of it. And they've been 75 yards away from you the whole time you've been sitting there and you had no idea. Um, like, you just cannot see. they. It doesn't look like they have anywhere to go or live, but they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they just crawl out of the ground and decide that they want to get up and walk around for a little bit. It's just it's crazy to me that I live here in Alabama where there's all kinds of places for a deer to live and our deer density is so much lower. And then you go to North Dakota and it just doesn't look like anything. It looks like mm-hmm. nothing should live there. And then, you know, if you got cameras out, all of a sudden there's deer popping up all over the place. It's just crazy to me. There they are. Um,
0: it's fun. It's super fun. I love, I love that kind of
1: spot. It's, it's different, especially when you, when you're not cultured and you haven't, traveled to hunt a whole lot of places outside of the Southeast and you go to somewhere like North Dakota and you're like, well, how am I supposed to hunt this place? (laughs) You know? Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I, you kind of mentioned a while ago, um, that out there in those States, there's a lot of hunters who are not really interested in whitetails. They're they're after different things. They're interested in elk, mule deer, pronghorn. Um, I'm sure there's other stuff out there that I'm not even thinking of, uh, but I've heard the same thing from multiple people is if you can go on a Western whitetail hunt, it can actually be a whole lot of fun because like us guys on the East Coast and in the South and even where you're at in Michigan, all we care about is whitetails. And then you go to mm-hmm. some a state where these big deer, these deer have an opportunity to get pretty big because nobody's really hunting them. Is it, have you found that to be the case? Like the further West you go, the less people care about whitetail?
0: Generally, generally, yes. I mean, it's, 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 and there's just, there's a lot of space. There's a lot of public land. There's fewer people, in most areas. And, and yeah, most of them don't care about tails. So what I found on average is good deer densities. When you can find where these deer are concentrated and good structure compared to back home, like there's just a lot of bucks that get to three or four or five, six years old, no one's hunting them you know, here in Michigan or down by you, Like these deer are just in a firing their entire life. Right. Yeah. Um, Not the case out there. So the other two, like if there is going to be people hunting whitetails out there, it's mostly during their fire, their rifle season. Very few people I know of hunt whitetails early season out west. Um, I, I ran into one significant, I mean, last year, my last year in Idaho was the one time where, there was a lot more people bowing whitetails than I was expecting in this area. And it was partly because I was closer to a relatively larger city just by necessity. And it was also the COVID, you know, who knows what the COVID boom did for last year's hunting numbers in this place. Um, So generally you're going to get away from people. It's almost, it's never going to be worse than back home. I think almost no, no matter where you live in the United States, if you live like East of, of, the 100th meridian like east of the middle of the great Plains, you're not going to get worse hunting pressure than you have at home probably when you go to one of these states and so uh i just generally enjoy a hunt where you're hunting the animals and not hunting the people and so that's fun too like if you you can find an area where it's just you and the critters that's just a very enjoyable experience too and uh and i've i've gotten a kick out of that so that's been a good thing and you can get yourself in some absolutely gorgeous places too. Great is the camp; it's quiet, and there's not other people around. You're seeing deer, and you're hearing coyotes or wolves howling at night, or whatever it is. I mean, that's that's just good living.
1: Yeah, that's so cool, man. And I think it's beneficial for guys down here. Uh, we actually have a pretty large uh, listener base from Michigan and Pennsylvania. A lot of these states that uh, you really do, if you are a public land hunter especially, but even private land, guys, you have such a, a high number of deer hunters. You know that It's like everybody hunts down here and, and yeah. where you guys are at. So um, it's hard to uh, – it, it is definitely hard to get away from hunting pressure. And I don't know if you find this in your listener numbers or uh, your listener locations, but we just tend to get more – downloads in those regions because there's just so many hunters and so i think for guys listening to this and and thinking man i would love to do something like this you know it's obviously from where i'm at it's a pretty good jaunt to get to get out west or to get somewhere like north dakota i think it's like a 29 hour drive from here to get to north dakota um but i got a 275 round trip flight um so I mean, wow. that's a pretty. If if you're looking and if you're if you stay on top of things, I'm able to do this this hunt. I could hunt North Dakota, um, which I'm hunting private land. But if I wanted to hunt public land, that was actually my original plan was to hunt public land out there until some things worked out. But a two hundred seventy five dollar flight round trip, two hundred seventy dollar tag I think um, to get there. Then you have lodging. Uh, you know, if you want to camp obviously that's the cheapest way to do it but a guy could realistically go and hunt somewhere like this for under a thousand dollars and have an opportunity at a whitetail of a lifetime you know and especially something that would be greater than (laughs) they probably would see down here and uh, I just think it's it's just such a cool opportunity to like now that I know this thing these things like how could I pass that up you know under a thousand yeah. bucks to go and potentially kill a great deer in velvet. Like that's a cool thing. Um, and you're not going to find it a whole yeah, lot of places.
0: experience. Yeah. Yeah. And just like different kind of experience, different kind of setting. And, and I've, I've said this a thousand times, but it's about the truest thing I can say. It's there's, there's almost no better way to become a better deer hunter than changing where you're hunting. Like just going to a new place, going mm-hmm. to a brand kind of area. I mean, just, by forcing yourself out of your comfort zone and what you're used to, you're going to have to go through the school of hard knocks and you're immediately, I mean, even after one trip to a totally different place like this, you're going to be better because of it. And you're not going to be better just at that new place. You're going to be better back home too. Mm-hmm. So traveling to hunt new places is, it's like the the, the simplest solution to being your deer hunting skill Um It's, it's never fails. You, I don't ah yeah. I shouldn't say never. Maybe there's someone out there who can do something like that and somehow find a way not to learn. But if you are a basically competent person that knows how to observe and learn, um, this is a way to do it. And it's a hell of a good time too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You take some buddies, you guys, I mean, like you take, you you think about this trip, you take some friends, Your lodging all of a sudden becomes like no expense, uh, like not a real expense. Like you could, you like for, for my tags and plane, it's $500 that's cheap man mm-hmm. like that I spend more than that to travel down to a WMA in South Alabama from here you know yep. like and oh. and I can go and hunt and go and see new places and go experience new things and maybe kill a deer that's bigger than anything I'd see down here that's just a like it's a no-brainer to me and uh, hard to argue with I think people should do it more I really do I think I think more people should should make time to to do those kind of things. I think it's very beneficial. And like what you said, Mark. I think you know, uh, learning if you if you want to be a student of whitetail, there's not a better way to do it than to travel and find something new and experience something different. But, man, I appreciate you coming on yeah. and uh, and talking with us. I want to uh, honor your time. I know we've been going for about an hour now. So, uh, Mark, tell us where uh, if for anybody who doesn't know, tell us where we can find your content and uh and follow along with what you're doing
0: yeah i mean the simplest way is maybe just google wired to hunt you're going to find us everywhere uh facebook instagram youtube got a lot of new stuff coming out we've kind of relaunched wired to hunt in a big new way this year so we've got a whole team of contributors now writing on our website producing these videos we're going to have three episodes a week week podcast so we've got like a uh a a weekly report on whitetail activity from across the country. Then another day that we've got these deep dives into specific foundational topics of deer hunting that's hosted by my buddy and public land savant, Tony Peterson. And then we have our regular episodes of the podcast every Thursday. So you can find us there. Uh, you go to the meat eater website. You'll see there's a wired to hunt link there to get all of our written content, so. If you're in hunting wales, we are pumping out just a crazy amount of stuff right now, and uh, hopefully some helpful things. So, so that's what we got going on.
1: Man, absolutely crushing it. And uh, one thing that I have noticed about Wired to Hunt and you, Mark, in the past, you know, I started listening in 2014. So, however many years, I'm not good at math. Seven years, I guess. Um, and I've noticed how the the you've turned from really one one style i guess of of whitetail hunting which is what you were doing at the time to now just being kind of an all-encompassing whitetail brand so you 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 cater to the the guy who has a back 40 property that he's trying to manage the guy who's doing public land grinding it out um and everything in between like you've got Uh, something for everybody which is really cool to watch and and see so guys make sure you go and check out Wired to Hunt if you're not already following uh, Mark and everything that he's doing with Wired to Hunt and Meat Eater putting out great stuff and uh, Mark thanks again man for coming on the show
0: thank you I really appreciate it It it's
1: fun absolutely thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast as always a big shout out to all of our partners that's Go Wild Spartan Forge Tethered new canoe and scree gear you can keep up with southern ground hunting by following us on facebook and instagram or you can subscribe to us on the youtube channel make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch hats t-shirts stickers stuff like that i truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you here again next week remember this god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time